0: Janaki Vallabhaya Namaha Drama has the glory of the moon and Sita its beauty. Drama has the gate of an elephant and Sita of a swan. Canto 2 The Avatara. Long, long ago, in the beautiful land of Kosla, on the banks of the river Sarayu, was situated the magnificent town of Ayodhya, ruled by the wise and just king called Dasharada. He belonged to the solar dynasty in the lineage of Ikshwaku, who was the son of Vivasvata Manu, the first of all created beings. Dasharada had one sorrow and that was that he had no son to carry on his line. As he was brooding over this, his guru, Sage Vasishta exhorted him to perform the horse sacrifice, Hastamaya Yaga, as well as the Putrakameshti Yaga, for the sake of begetting a son. He told him to approach the famous sage, Rishyasringa and request him to be the chief pe- priest in conducting the Yajna. It was at this time that the gods approached the creator Brahma and begged him to intercede with Lord Vishnu on their behalf to kill the demon king Ravana who was harassing them sorely. Brahma conveyed the message to Lord Vishnu who agreed to descend to the earth taking on four forms as the sons of the king Dasaratha. At that very moment, King Dasaratha had successfully completed his Ashvameda Yaga and had commenced his Putra Kameshdi Yaga. had raised the ladle high and had just poured the ghee into the flaming fire, invoking the presence of Lord Narayana, the protector of the world. Just then, out of the sacrificial fire, there appeared a striking figure of a divine personage carrying a golden vessel containing an ambrosial confection of rice, milk, and honey. The celestial being handed over the vessel to the king and told him to give it to his three queens. The king gave half of this nectar-like sweet to his eldest wife, Kausalya. He divided the remaining half into two portions and gave one portion to his second wife Sumitra, the remaining quarter he split into two and gave one part to his third wife Kaikeyi and the remainder again to Sumitra. As soon as they ate the pudding, the queens became pregnant with the spirit of Lord Narayana. In course of time, they gave birth to four sons each of whom manifested the power of the Lord in proportion to the amount that their mothers had partaken of the divine confection. The first to be born was Kausalya's son, Rama, who contained within him one half of the power of the Lord. He was born in the month of Chaitra, March-April, when the star, Punarvasu, was in ascendance. At the most auspicious time, when five of the planets were in an exalted state. Next, Kaigei, the youngest queen, gave birth to Bharata, who possessed a quarter of the Lord's powers. And finally, his second wife, Sumitra, delivered twins who were called Lakshmana and Shatrupna. The king's joy knew no bounds. In place of the one son he had wished for, He had been given four. Gifts were distributed in abundance to all. The city of Ayodhya went crazy with joy. There was a month-long rejoicing and festivities. As the children grew up, they were given all the training necessary for royal princes. Their guru was the great sage, Vasishta. Even as a child, Rama exhibited extraordinary powers of intellect as well as great nobility of character. Though the other three were all devoted to him, Sumitra's son Lakshmana followed Rama like a shadow and could not be, bear to be parted from him, even for a minute, whereas his twin Chatrupna kept close to Bharata. After their return from the hermitage of their preceptor, Rama was desirous of going on a pilgrimage round this holy land of Bharadavaśya. Dacarada was pleased to grant this to his request, and the four brothers went on a tour with their retinue. After his return, his father and brothers noticed a great change in Rama. He became very pensive, took no delight in the various sports and pastimes of his brothers, shunned all social contacts, and even refused to eat unless coaxed by one of his mothers. He became pale and emaciated. He politely evaded all the questions of his anxious father. At this time, it so happened that sage Vishwamitra came to the court with a request. The king assured the sage that his wish would certainly be granted. Vishwamitra then asked Dacharada to send his son Rama to kill the two demons. Maricha and Subahu, who were molesting his ashrama and preventing him from completing his sacrificial rites. The king was stunned to hear this request, for he feared for the safety of his son, who was barely sixteen years of age. He offered to send his entire army to help the sage, or even to come himself. But Vishwamitra refused all these offers for he said that Rama alone had the power to kill the demons. At last, urged by his own guru Vasishta, Dasarada reluctantly gave his consent and ordered an attendant to fetch Rama. The attendant returned and gave the news that ever since his return from the pilgrimage, the prince was strangely lethargic. He seemed bereft of hope and bereft of desire and attached to nothing. Hearing this, Vishwamitra said, His condition is not the result of delusion, but is the result of wisdom and dispassion leading to enlightenment. Let him be brought to the court immediately. Rama came to the assembly hall and bowed to his father and the sages. His loving father asked him, My dear child, why have you become so sad and dejected when you have everything in light? Who has harmed you? What has happened to you? Rama replied, During my recent pilgrimage through this holy land of ours, I saw many sights which I had never seen before. Agony and suffering did I see, and poverty, disease and death. A new trend of thought has taken hold of me. What happiness can we have from this ever-changing world? All beings take birth only to die and die only to be born again. I see no meaning in this transient phenomenon, which has its roots in suffering and ignorance. Everything in the world depends on our mental attitude, but the mind itself seems unreal, even though we are bewitched by it. We are not bonded slaves, yet we have no freedom. Ignorant of the world, we have been wandering aimlessly in this forest of samsara many lives. How can this suffering come to an end? My heart bleeds with sorrow when I think of these things, and I do not feel like eating or sleeping, much less engaging myself in vain pursuits, unless I have an answer to these questions. He went on in this strain for some time, and the whole assembly was struck by the depth and perspicacity of the young boy's reflections. At last, he said, I do not consider him a hero who is able to battle against an army. I regard him a hero who is able to conquer his mind. By reflecting on the pitiable state of living beings who have fallen into this pit called samsara, I am filled with grief. My mind is confused. I have rejected everything, but I am not yet established in wisdom. Hence, I am partly caught and partly freed, like a tree that has been cut, but not severed from its roots. Pray tell me how I am to reach that supreme state of bliss. All the assembled sages and people were thrilled to hear Rama's speech and settled themselves down to hear the reply of Vishwamitra and Vasishta. Vishwamitra said, O Rama, you are indeed the foremost amongst the wise. And there is nothing further that you need to know. However, your knowledge needs confirmation, and I earnestly request Sage, your sister, to instruct you, so that all of us who are assembled here may also be inspired. My sister is truly a liberated sage, who is not swayed by sensual pleasures, and who acts without motivation of fame or any other incentives. On hearing Vishwamitra's request. The great Brahma-rishi Vasishta proceeded to instruct Rama on Atmic knowledge and Brahmic bliss. This discourse this discourse came to be known as the Yoga Vasishta. Though many people had listened to this marvellous discourse it was only Rama of mighty intellect who could grasp in its totality the essence of Vasishta's teachings. This was how Rama at the tender age of sixteen, became a truly liberated being, who was steadfast in his quest of dharma, who cared not for the pursuit of personal happiness, but only for the pursuit of righteousness, for he realized that only in dharma could a person find eternal bliss. At the end of this learned discourse, his father gave him permission to accompany Vishwamitra and accomplish Whatever the sage had in mind, Lakshmana followed him. The king watched them go with anxious eyes, but did not dare to say anything, for he did not want to incur Vishwamitra's wrath. When they reached the river bank, Vishwamitra gave them two mantras, which would make them invincible and protect them from all fatigue and hunger. Proceeding further, they came to a forest in which many hermits lived they went in fear of the demoness called tataka vishwamitra told the princess about this demoness who though born a woman was endowed with the strength of a thousand elephants she and her sons maricha and subahu roamed the forest and killed anyone who came there they also molested the sages who lived in that forest and stopped them from performing. sacrificial rites. Every time they raised their ladle to pour the oblation of ghee into the fire, they would find that their fires had gone out due to the blood, bones and fecal matter which had been thrown into it. Vishwamitra requested Rama to kill her and thus save the forest dwellers. Since she was a woman, Rama was reluctant to kill her and decided to maim her so that she would no longer trouble the sages. Taking up his bow, he twanged it loudly. This infuriated Tataka, and she rushed towards the sound. Seeing the princess, she showered rocks and uprooted trees on them, and kept appearing and disappearing in the sky, in order to confuse them. Rama was sorely perplexed as to what he should do. Vishwamitra told him not to hesitate, and to kill her immediately before she could wreak further havoc. She deserved no sympathy and she was far from being a weak woman. Thus commanded by Vishwamitra, Rama did not hesitate anymore for he realized that it was his duty to kill her since Vishwamitra brought him there for that express purpose. As she rushed towards him with the intention of making an end of him and Lakshmana, Rama shot a deadly arrow at her so that she fell down lifeless in her tracks. Thus he earned the gratitude of all the sages and other forest dwellers. It was a king's dharma to protect the people under him, and thus Rama was forced to kill Tataka, even though she was a woman. That night, for the first time, the forest dwellers slept peacefully without fear of being molested by Tataka. In the morning, Vishwamitra gave Rama many powerful missiles by which he could defeat all enemies as well as a knowledge of how to recall them. Then he took them to his own ashrama where the hermits were delighted to see them. The next day, Vishwamitra commenced his yaga after having instructed the two princes to be strictly vigilant for the next six days to see that the sacrifice was not interrupted. Just as the Yaga commenced, there was a fearful clamor in the sky and the two demons, Maricha and Subahu, swooped down in the sacrificial altar, scattering blood, pus and bones. Rama ran out and hurled a missile at Maricha, which sent him hurtling 800 miles away to the ocean. Next, he killed Subahu without difficulty and thus saved the Yaga, as he had promised. Next day, the sages surprised him of the sacrifice of the bow which was being held in the town of Mithila by the great sage-king Janaka. All of them proceeded towards Mithila and on the way, the sages regaled the boys with an account of Vishwamitra's birth and history as well as the story of the Ganga. They also told them the story Of the churning of the milky ocean by the gods and the demons on their way they reached a deserted hermitage which had belonged to the sage gautama his beautiful wife ahalya had been cursed by him and had turned into a stone for having unwittingly betrayed him as rama entered the ashrama he placed his foot on the stone and ahalya was immediately released from her curse And rose up in all her beauty. Gautama also returned and the reunited couple paid all homage to Rama. As the party entered the flower bedecked town of Mithila, where the festival of the bow was being held, Vishwamitra told Rama the story of how the bow had belonged to Lord Shiva and was so huge that none could lift it. However, At a very young age, when Janaka's daughter, Sita, was playing with a ball, it had rolled beneath the ball. The king was astonished to find the child effortlessly lifting the ball to take the ball out. Then and there he decided that anyone who aspired for his daughter's hand would have to lift the ball, bend it and string it. Many princes had come to try their luck and had gone away disappointed. Vishwamitra knew that Rama was the one to wed Sita and that is why he took him to Mithila. As they entered the palace gates, Rama's gaze was drawn to an open window in the palace through which he could see the head of a young girl. As if drawn by his look, she turned and looked straight into his eyes. So intense was her gaze that he felt as if he had got an electric shock. His heart left him forever and flew into the beauteous eyes of the child. She was none but a child. But child though she was, she also knew that in him she had found her life partner. The boys walked on and the girl kept hoping with all her might that he would be able to bend the bow and marry her. For she was none other than Sita the adopted daughter of King Janaka. Once, when the king had been plowing the ground for a yaga, he heard the gurgling chuckle of a baby. He stopped the plough just in time and found a beautiful baby girl in the furrow. He gathered her up tenderly and decided to adopt her. She was so charming. He called her Sita, which means a furrow. Vishwamitra and the princess were welcomed by King Janaka with great joy. He told them the story of the bow and of his daughter Sita. Vishwamitra assured him that Rama, the son of Dasharada, would easily bend the bow. Five thousand able-bodied men were needed to carry the chest containing the bow into the hall. The lid was opened and the bow was revealed to everyone. Urged by Vishwamitra, Rama took up the gigantic bow, as if it was a mere toy, and bent it till it broke. There was a thunderous noise, like the breaking apart of a mountain. The whole earth shook and shuddered with the impact. All the spectators fell to the ground, except for the two princes, the sage and the king. Everyone gazed at Rama in wonder. The king was delighted who he had almost despaired of getting a husband for his daughter, since all the mightiest kings of the land had come and tried their luck with the bow and failed. He immediately sent speedy messengers to Ayodhya to invite Dasaratha for his son's wedding. When the king arrived, accompanied by Bharata and Chatrupna and a vast retinue of followers carrying loads of gifts, he was met with all due honours by Janaka. Janaka suggested that his younger daughter Urmila should be given in marriage to Lakshmana, and his brothers two daughters, Mandavi and Shudikirti, would make suitable brides for Bharata and Shatrughna. Dashrada was delighted to accept such beautiful brides for his sons. At the auspicious hour called Vidya, the nuptials took place. Bhasta prepared the altar. In the center of the marriage pavilion and decorated with sandy paste, golden platters, vases filled with flowers, incense burners, conches, bowls filled with offerings and golden vessels containing unpolished rice roasted and smeared with turmeric powder. Scattering Darba grass on the altar, Sage Vasishta began the ceremony With the recitation of the sacred marriage mantras given in the Rig Veda, King Janaga now led his beautiful daughter bedecked with ornaments into the marriage pavilion. He took her hand and placed it firmly in Rama's. Sita looked up shyly at her husband, and as their eyes locked, they both realized that they had already seen each other and chosen each other some days ago. When Rama had arrived in Mithila, neither of them could bear to tear their gaze away from each other and hardly noticed that the king was giving his daughter Urmila to Lakshmana and his nieces Mandavi and Sritikirti to Bharata and Shatrughna. Clasping the hand of his bride, Rama led her three times round the sacred fire and thus plighted his troth. His brothers followed suit. The combined wedding took place with great pomp and eclat. The wedding party left the very next day for Ayodhya. On the way, they were accosted by the invincible Parashurama, who, though born a Brahmin, was yet a Kshatriya in his valour and might. He had sworn to exterminate the whole race of Kshatriyas, since one of them had killed his father. Vasishta and the other sages tried to placate him, but the irascible Parashirama who was supposed to be another avatar of Lord Vishnu ignored all of them and addressed himself to Rama alone. I have heard of your great prowess in breaking the mighty bow of Lord Shiva. I have with me the even mightier bow of Lord Vishnu. If you are indeed a true kshatriya and a man of valor, Take this bow and string it and come for a duel. Dasarada was totally bereft when he heard this challenge and begged Parashirama to let the boy go. But the latter ignored him and challenged Rama again. Undaunted by the fierce-looking aspect of the sage, Rama took up the bow and strung it with ease and turning it towards Parashirama, he asked him in an authoritative voice, O oh, holy Brahmin, Tell me at whom I should discharge this arrow. Recognizing his master, the fierce Parashirama became meek as a fawn and said, O oh Rama, I realize that you are none other than Lord Vishnu, for no one else can string this bow. I surrender all my powers to you and will now retire to Mount Mahendra to further austerities. After Parashirama left, Rama handed over the bow of Vishnu to Varuna, the lord of waters, and the wedding party proceeded, without interruption, to the city of Ayodhya, which had been richly festooned to welcome the princess and their brides. For the next twelve years, Rama and Sita delighted in each other's company. Sita was as good as she was beautiful, and Rama came to love her, even more for her nobility of character, as for her charm and beauty. As for Sita, she was enchanted with her handsome and noble husband, and thanked the gods who had given her such a boon. Their love for each other grew with every passing day, and they could not bear to be parted, even for a moment. Thus the days and months passed like minutes for the radiant couple, and time ceased to exist. While they gazed into each other's lotus pet, petal eyes. Thus ends the second canto called the Avatara of the Balakanta in the glorious Ramayana of the sage Watmigi Hariyomatsas. Vasishta says As waves are seen in the tangible ocean, so in the formless Brahman the world exists. Without form from the infinite the infinite emerges and exists in it as the infinite, hence the world has never really been created. It is the same as that from which it has emerged from the yoga vas that's it.
1: i mm-hmm.